20 years ago this year, Kath and Kim premiered on Australian television, giving us some of our most beloved bogans. He earns a very good salary. You call that a good salary? I want to be effluent, Mum. Effluent. You are effluent, Kim. I mean, look at everything you've got. You've got a high Hyundai to hightail it round in, a half share in a home unit, a DVD player, a mobile. I mean, what else is there? <laughs> the term bogan is one of the most important words to be created in Australian English in the past 40 years. That's according to the editor of the 2016 edition of the Australian National Dictionary. It's an inescapably Australian word and one that continues to evolve and find new uses and meanings, so much so that in the upcoming third edition of the AND, editors are substantially revising the entry, <clears throat> adding about around 30, 30 new Bogan-related entries. Why does this term continue to retain such a hold on the popular imagination, particularly when it's so tricky to define? Well, Dr Amanda Largason, who's director at the Australian National Dictionary Centre at the ANU and chief editor, uh, joins me now to explain. Good morning and welcome. Good morning, Geraldine. Look, I'm still finding myself laughing about that silly Kath and Kim, the effluent. Um, for a term we know so well, it does seem rather tricky to pin down. What is the current definition of a bogan in the Australian National Dictionary? Right, so the 2016 edition um, defined the bogan as an uncultured and unsophisticated person or a boorish and uncouth person. So very much linked to um, culture and very much linked to education. Um, but we've actually, there are a number of different senses or in the way that the bogan emerged, emerged in Australian English. So the very first um, idea of the bogan is really similar to a, a kind of Westie. So you mentioned WA as being uh, the origin. So our very first um, evidence comes from school magazines where school students are kind of referring to a particular type at the school um, who is similar to a Westie. So flannel shirt, um, mullet or rat tail hairstyle, um, that kind of image. Um, and that sort of emerges in the early 1980s. And then that moves on to kind of being a sort of broader sense, really referring to a loser or a dag. And then by the 1990s, you have this more uneducated, unsophisticated, uncultured um, person um, sense ha having emerged. And I think that's the one that we're most familiar with, which is why that's the definition that we use in the 2016 edition. And it's being uh, substantially revised, this definition, and a whole lot of derivations being added. Why is this? H has the term evolved substantially since it was added in 2016? Well, it had already, many of these actually can be traced back, many of the new things that we're putting in can be traced back to really around the sort of late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, one of the reasons why we didn't have as expansive an entry in the 2016 edition was my predecessor as the chief editor um, didn't use internet evidence, um, so internet-only evidence like social media. But we've actually been able to substantiate a number of other um, bogan compounds and bogan 
slogan derivatives um, through social media. So it's actually been really useful because we, we are now using social media as evidence. We've actually been able to substantiate it because the Australian National Dictionary essentially is a dictionary like the Oxford English Dictionary. So we provide quotation evidence showing the evolution of a word, showing how it's used in Australian English. So we need those quotations. And, and they weren't necessarily there for a whole range of, of these words, but we now are able to trace them because we've expanded our, our, our um, evidence base essentially. But it's really interesting to see how there are so many of these um, bogan derivatives and bogan compounds that are just in the language and really very much in in a certain time period. So very much this, this really the early 2000s, I think, is where we're tracing the first evidence, um, which suggests that maybe it's around in, in you know, we, in oral use before that um, by a few years. Um, but it's just really interesting to see how there's this just huge boom, if you like, in, in Bogan-related words and, um, and through that time period. Yes, it's so interesting and no longer a strictly derogatory term, which I suppose we could say it was, it's been reclaimed in a sense, you suggest, and turned into a term of pride or endearment. Maybe you could explain how usage gets flipped on its head like this. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really interesting. I mean, we see it happen with a number of different words in Australian English. So the term um, larrikin, for example, which it, in its very earliest usages was referring to a member of a youth gang who was considered to be, you know, antisocial and um, committing crimes and those kinds of things by the time of the First World War. And so that's through the 1890s, early 1900s. By the time of the First World War, starts to flip around and the larrikin becomes a much more positive um, figure in um, in Australia. Um, even the ochre, I think, sort of the, the very first evidence we have of ochre, which is a sort of similar word to bogan, you see being quite um, derogatory and insulting of, of the people who are being called ochres. But then by, say, the 1980s, you know, somebody like Paul Hogan, who we might call an ochre, or even the late 1970s, those kind of comedy figures, very much embracing the idea of the ochre. So they slide around, certainly. And I think there's certainly lots of people who would still see bogan as an insult. Mm. Um, but I think the Rebel Wilson case of a few years ago where she actually um, sued uh, Bauer Media, I think one of the women's magazines had accused her of, of lying about being a bogan. Um, you know, she was she was proud of calling herself a bogan um, and she defended that in the courts. And I think and I, and I think she won that case, um, called herself a cashed up bogan. And um, I think, you know, there, there's certainly many people who would embrace elements of that, um, not necessarily because it was linked to a kind of class identity, you know, it's not necessarily just a working class thing, but, you know, there, there are certain things that you like to do or you like um, ways in which you speak or the ways in which you dress that you might embrace even uh, and connect them to a kind of bogan performance or a bogan identity. Well, oh gosh, this, but yeah, the, perform, the performance aspect of it, you make the point and I, I want to come back to that, but you have this lovely um, observation that Fogan or fake bogan was becoming quite an insult, while finding your inner bogan was an honourable goal. Now, can you flesh that out a little bit, please? I mean, I think the idea of the fogan, which is another term that we're putting into the dictionary because it's quite a fun one, is this idea of people sort of putting on this um, bogan um, kind of performance um, and that being a bit of an insult that if you're not a, a, not a true bogan, um, 
you know, th- there's a there's a problem there. So you've kind of got to have this this kind of um, bogan heritage, if you like, <laughs> that you're kind of expressing. Um, I think the the interestingly the Fogan label was um, applied to our. Uh, previous Prime Minister Scott Morrison in terms of the ways in which he was kind of um, ockering up, to use another Australian English expression, in some of the the kind of political performance that he was doing and that, you know, didn't really reflect his background. And I think um, even though the word Fogan wasn't used in the Rebel Wilson case, I think there was also an element of that, that she was just putting it on, um, whereas she defended it on the basis that she saw herself as, as, you know, truly being a Bogan. So I think there's some really interesting um, things going on with that. I think with the inner bogan, um, you know, we're certainly seeing that expression being used as well. So, you know, it's it might be that you don't actually look like a bogan, um, but you might find um, a connection with uh, your inner bogan in different ways. Um, and again, it comes back to this idea of sort of performing um, a kind of bogan quality. Um, but I think trying to pin what that pin, pin that down, like what does that actually mean, I think is a really tricky, tricky thing. Well, um, in, indeed. Um, and because, you know, it's funny, I thought of ochre and bogan in completely different bags, if you know what I mean. Um, uh, so I'm going to, you're going to force me to go away and think about, think about that. I mean, this is all about class, isn't it, really? That's what you're saying. This, this is a way, we don't discuss class very much in Australia at all. It, they do it even less in America. But is that what you say, see is really happening here, that we're finding it, it does, having to categorise, it does force us to think about this? I think that's right. Yeah. I mean, I was very much inspired when I, I, I was writing a piece on this um, by a, a recent collection of essays called Class in Australia um, that just came out um, this year. And I was really fascinated by the different ways in which, um, you know, recent scholars were, talk- uh, scholars were talk- um, talking about class um, more recently and, and sort of saying that these kinds of terms can kind of disguise some of the class and, and class inequities in Australia and some of the structural inequalities that we have here. So a word like bogan, um, you know, you've got something like somebody like the Prime Minister sort of putting on these kind of bogan performances. It's no longer tied to necessarily your income or where you come from. Um, it, it can therefore kind of obscure some of those class inequalities. And we don't seem to have a language to really talk about that, I think, is what some of these scholars were saying, that we don't really use that term working class very much. Or if we do, it's very much in a in a scholarly context rather than in a more popular context. So our our popular language is really using terms like bogan, um, but they slide around so much that we we sort of lose that idea of class or, or inequality. Um, that that still is very much part of Australian society and Australian society, um, and that we we still need to address some of the issues there. Yes, um, we've had a couple of rather passionate um, ex-text. Bogan is also a river and a sporting house in my school. The word is an insult to the residents of Ningen in northern New South Wales. Uh, under threat from more floods, I think, and one we could do without. We we just, I mean, that's just another sidebar. We don't think of that, do we? 
Well, I mean, I think it's interesting. We actually have a separate entry for uh, Bogan the Place and some of the um, compounds that come from that because we have a Bogan Flea, um, a Bogan Gate and a Bogan Shower, and they're all linked to that area, um, uh, the, the River of New South Wales. Um, so, And then, of course, there is the town of Bogan as well. So I think it's, you know, it, it, there seems to be no relation. I mean, this is what what's kind of mysterious about where Bogan came from, so that even though we've traced back that first evidence to school magazines, it's unclear where the word, how the word attached itself to this particular type of person, yeah. uh, because it doesn't seem to relate to the river. Maybe it does. Maybe we just haven't found that evidence connection yet. Um, I'll tell you um, an- another interesting for new, uh, new early evidence. Yes, <laughs> an interesting that I picked. Up. I picked your piece up in the Australian Book Review, which is certainly not a. Bo- <laughs> <laughs> doesn't conform to the usual sort of bogan description. So I mean, it's very just proving to me that it's the subject of very interesting, um, you know, scholarly search. Someone has asked, what would be the opposite of bogan? Now, I wonder if you've thought about that. Is that a way to flesh, to sort of, um, you know, illustrate what it might have come to mean? Yeah, I is think it's not. <laughs> Yeah, it's really interesting. I don't, I don't know that there is a clear opposite in Australian English. Um, in, in, in the piece that you just mentioned, I, I sort of moved on to talk a little bit about some of the terms that are kind of being used to refer to the kind of inner city elites, things like um, mostly, and in, in this case, derogatory, because, you know, we use things like the, the latte set and latte sipper and those kinds of things. And, the, you know, of course, we've seen the rise of the term woke more recently for the kind of inner city elites, um, which yes. I guess in some senses is kind it's of a the bit opposite, of an opposite be. Of, of the bogan but I don't think it has I mean, those sort of terms there's a whole range of them and none of them I think have the kind of traction of, of a term like bogan mm-hmm. um, and I think that's also because we do have still have that um, you know the kind of tall poppy syndrome and the kind of cultural cringe around even though we, plenty of us um, might not want to see ourselves as bogan and see ourselves as something else, we don't necessarily always feel that comfortable with it All because right. there are certainly elements of boganness that are very Australian um, in in the way that they are kind of conceived of and and performed. If I can use that expression, before the texters um, say, yeah. I'm sure there isn't a lot of observed boganism on the Radio National because this is another thing that I'm thinking about what fits in and what doesn't. Look, thank you very much indeed for prompting us to think like this. It's really been fabulous to talk to you. Thanks so much, Geraldine. Amanda Lagerson from the Australian National Dictionary. And thank you. And I will keep thinking about that too. It's easier than ever to hear your favourite local and national ABC radio stations live and on demand on the ABC Listen app.